Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
you know, it's it's not the first time I've seen a game canceled. Um, I believe it was 2011 when they canceled it, and um, and there was another game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Philadelphia Eagles that was canceled, and that was due to just the horrendous field conditions of the old veteran stadium, the infamous veteran stadium in Philadelphia. So I'm, I'm not surprised at it. Um, I, I think it is a – First of all, it's an embarrassment, and let's just let's just start with that. Um, you've had in, since I guess January uh, of this year to to prepare for this game. It's not like this is a surprise game. Everyone knew this game was coming, and you couldn't get your field properly together. We're talking about a, a billion dollar company who basically couldn't get out of its own way. Um, you cost a lot of people, a lot of fans. Uh, you know, who, who took the road trip to come see their uh, their teams play, and also to see their their favorite player be inducted into the Hall of Fame. People came a long way to see that game. Now, of course, on the on the grand scheme of things, people are going to say it's a preseason game, it's a Hall of Fame game. Most of the people don't want to play that game anyway. But what do you say to the fans? And then, more importantly, what do you say to the players who were waiting for their opportunity? To, to go out and showcase their skills to hopefully make a team. So now you have one less bullet in the chamber, and that could cost a guy who was, who maybe was on the fence to, to get a job in the NFL. Now you've cost that player uh, a chance at, at, at living his dream. And I think that doesn't get spoken of enough. So, I mean, you know, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest Roger Goodell fan, and – you know, now Roger Goodell is no—he's not a guy that goes out there and gets the field done. He tasks other people to do that. But the bottom line is, is when you are the franchise, you're the face of the franchise. The blame comes down on you, especially when you want to multi-multi-multi—excuse um, me—micromanage all the other things that are going on with the players. But you aren't making sure that your product is good enough on the field. So again, a pox on you, Roger Goodell. And shame on the NFL and shame on whoever was in charge of getting that field ready because you really cost a lot of people a lot of good opportunities. Well, I will tell you, a rumor has it the uh, the uh, crew that was set up to fix that was actually uh, a little drunk. So they're probably at Buffalo Wild Wings, and then they were trying to get that t- taken care of. Just didn't work out Be that dead. way. Right? So uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, anyway, that was a good story, you know. It's a good rumor. Right. <laughs> it's a good rumor. Though. You know what? I, um, you know, I, I, That's all honestly, I, got to say. I, I would, I would rather the NFL go with that rumor. That would make more sense. Oh, I know. I, mean, I, right? know. I mean, <laughs> if I were them, I'd be like, "Hey, man, the guys are drunk. What, what do you want me to do, man?" <laughs> I know. It's just, it's, it's horrible. It's almost like uh, when you hire independent contractors and the guys are just too high and to put up drywall just doesn't work mm-hmm. really well. <laughs> um, anyway, we're not like going to mock it. We're not like going to mock Angie's list on this show, but we just did, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it almost sounded oh, like a jerky boy's routine. <laughs> and of course, uh, I'm they just found saying, someone to fall on the sword. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. you know they've already uh, found someone to fall on the sword. Um, Troy Vincent is taking the blame for the Hall of Fame debacle. According to the yard barker, so 
Yeah, Ryan nice. Williamson is reporting that uh, Troy Vincent is taking the blame. But I was heard. I was. I remember reading somewhere that the um, it's all it's almost subcontracted out or something like that. I have to go back. It is. It is. That's why I'm saying it's not really so, a direct league so who, thing. Right. It's right. It's not even technically coordinated and organized by the league, and part of it um, has to do technically with the Hall of Fame itself. Well, I thought they were the ones who actually coordinated the game. And that the NFL just um, secured the um, players. Yeah, I, I mean, it's this. This was like Tori's point. This is pretty bad. Um, we're going to be talking to Josh King of Broadcast Sixty Five, and um, we were talking about this some sort of scandal with a player with a jersey, and about how that player was pre- not a, not a ineligible, but. Uh, we were told by the league that he that the player was eligible, but apparently was wearing a different uh, jersey, and that might have cost the uh, Dallas Elite the championship game. So we'll talk to oh. Josh King on the uh, somewhat scandal that apparently happened at the W Bowl in Pittsburgh. So he'll be he'll be here in a couple minutes, and we'll discuss so with him about that. And the W Bowl to the S Bowl for scandal? I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it sounds like something of, of a controversy. So we thought we'd bring him in and voice his, voice his uh, you know, opinion on it because he was uh, strongly on it, uh, on it on Facebook. So I thought it would be nice to have him on and just kind of voice that. On top of that, he's uh, telling us, uh, based on through uh, Facebook information, that because of this stuff, uh, Frank Shrouds, who was working as a director for the uh, Women's Football Alliance in terms of business development, apparently has branched out of the Women's Football Alliance and has decided to start the Women's National Football Alliance. So we're going to talk to him about how that new league is supposed to, uh, you know, be uh, more prominent in terms of a professional status instead of what the uh, IWFL and the WFA are right now. So uh, we'll get some, uh, I guess, some juice or we'll get some skimmy or however you want to call it in terms of what's going on in that type of realm behind it when Josh comes in here in a couple minutes. But, um, Troy, I mean, the NFL, the NFL Hall of Fame game, I had somebody tweet me. It's really a bore. It's kind of like the Pro Bowl in a way. So it wasn't such a, you know, like a huge shocker. It's not wasn't like to where it's going to get you completely ballistically pissed off or anything like that. So it is disappointing that, um, I guess, you know, that it wasn't played. But technically, it's, it is sort of preseason. So I think if I had gone to the Hall of Fame game, I think the, uh, the in, in, inductions – Ceremony would have been more important for me, and if somebody said, "Hey, the can- the game is canceled," I would have just kind of brushed it off and said, "Okay, whatever. I'm going back to my hotel room." And and but, I uh, can tell you, um, and I can tell you because I, you know, that's where I went to grad school was um, it was in Akron, which is right around the corner from Canton, and um, truthfully, mo- most people actually come for all of the festivities. Um, that Friday night, they come for the parade that Saturday morning, and they come for the actual, you know, enshrinement and, um, you know, for the speeches. And the game the next day is great and it's fun, but it just depends on, you know, who's being inducted, who's your person, and, you know, who's your team, and all of that factors into you know, why you're coming, because there are some people who do come just for the game. And, and I, and I, so again, it depends on, you know, the individual uh, person. Now I agree with you. The game is not as fun 
the uh, it's first of all, it's hot. It is hot. It is icky. It is sticky. It is absolutely miserable out there, and just in terms of the weather, and because it's an outdoor stadium, and people underestimate how hot that area of Ohio is. Um, the last time I was there was um, three years ago when uh, Chris Carter and uh, Warren Sapp were uh, inducted. And, you know, I'll tell you, that weekend was an absolute blast. It was an absolute hoot. I loved it. I had I just thoroughly enjoyed myself. Party, and that was the end of that. But, again, mo- this, it was more people were really and truly there for the um, for the game. And when I was in grad school, I worked at the hotel where the teams used to stay. So the, I joined right after the pro football. When I started working, it was right after the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame game, and that was the year the Steelers came. So the next year was when the Browns came back into the league and the Cowboys played. You know I lost my mind for the Cowboys to be staying in the same hotel where I work. Lost my absolute ever-loving mind. And it really and truly is a great weekend if you've never been. There really and truly is nothing like it for fans. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to, to, to make it to camp. Um, it, it would be, uh, you know, it's, it's on my bucket list. I just want to go out there just to to see what they have out there and, and get to see some of my favorite players and, you know, going to the Hall of Fame. Um, but, again, I, I would be I would be living. <laughs> I mean, I came out there to see football. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but, again, I, I, you know, for the people who have been listening to the show, I say it pretty much every week. I'm going to say it again. I'm a football junkie. I was highly disappointed. I wanted to see the rookies. I wanted to see the, the fourth-string, third- and fourth-string guys out there playing. I just wanted to see some football. That's all I wanted to see. But you know, Yeah, again, but I don't well, want to it, see football at the expense of the players because guess what? We could lose somebody more important later well, on well, in the season. Was, well, that was my point is that, you know, and this isn't the first time that, you know, this field has come up. So, I mean, last right. year you had Sean Sweetsham who, who tore his ACL on a kickoff. I mean, come on. Exactly. That was I mean, ridiculous. That, that should have been part that of the narrative last year. So, right. So I don't, I don't understand why I don't understand why the, that field should not be at least think, you know, uh, at prestige level if it's an NFL stadium mentality. I mean, at least the field Absolutely. itself. I understand the bleachers and everything else, but at least the field. There should be no excuse for the field not. Not being in top shape. It looks like it, when um, you see it, it honestly, it looks like it looks like a high school field. And all, well, honestly, it, no, it is a high school so, field. I, mean, I think it's a college, yeah, minor exactly. college field. Yeah. yeah they, um, all right, so we're gonna get in the area play. We're gonna get into detail on the Hall of Fame later. Uh, we had Dungy, Green, Harrison, Pace, uh, D. Bartolo Jr., Stabler. And I believe it was Dick Stanfell, which I'm, I don't know too much about. And then obviously Brett Favre, but that was the the uh, class that went in. So we'll talk to uh, a little bit about it after um, a little bit in the hour, and we'll go more into detail on that, and then kind of get thoughts on all those players from us in terms of you know so, uh, almost all of us have lived through this this uh, class in terms of you know through the era where they played. So we, we pretty much have a good sense on that. 
Um, so let's go ahead and bring in in the No Joke Football Huddle, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can go to Zazzle.com, get all your gear to support the project. We are supporting the women's Outback team, and I want to give a shout-out right now to the women's rugby team, the Aussie women's rugby team in the Olympics. They won gold. Congratulations to them. Shout-out to the Aussies out there. And so all the women's athletes out there in the Olympics, uh, they're basically kicking some butt. So it's, it's been exciting times to watch. Um, so um, we'll go into detail in that too. I mean, any thoughts on the Olympics are early on, but for the most part, um, let's go ahead and bring in Josh King of uh, Broadcast 65 into the mix here. And Josh, are you on? Yeah, hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Like show so far. Hey, uh, Josh, uh, thanks for making the time. Uh, you're on with Inkishi Free and Troy Wilson. Uh, welcome to the Gridiron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Thanks, guys. I appreciate, uh, you know, you guys have been one of the media outlets to cover uh, some of the stuff that I've been uh, revealing, so to speak. And I appreciate you guys uh, sharing both sides of the story, uh, honestly. Uh, you guys are the first to report that the league discredited Broadcast 65 in my story. And uh, I really do appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to share my side of the story. And uh, this isn't about me. It's always been about the Dallas elite. It's been about uh, bettering women's sports from the get-go. Now, Josh, let's go into some of the mud and some of the, uh, you know, the staining, as they say, on walls. Um, we were at the y, at the W Bowl. I keep saying Y Bowl. I don't know why I'm doing that, but anyways, at the W Bowl, 2006, um, there was a situation, um, and you can give us some more details here. But apparently, there's a situation with a player that was eligible per the league, uh, you know, statement that they made. the The player was eligible to play, but uh, under the stat sheet and under the uh, roster sheet. Uh, it was not Sylvia Espinoza, from what I'm, what I can tell. It was another player, right? And they were wearing the yeah. wrong jersey. It's happened in the past where the jersey changes is not so much the issue at this point because somebody can tear their jersey and they just substitute it with another player's jersey. But it needs to be known, uh, obviously, prior to the game or uh, anticipating before the game starts. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you're absolutely right. Well, to be honest with you, uh, I was there. I was one of the only media outlets besides ESPN to cover the game. And the the, the difficulty um, of getting the press passes, you'd be amazed. I I covered the Pirates, Penguins, and Steelers for a living. And it was tougher getting uh, media passes to the W Bowl than it was any other event that I've ever covered. I, I've covered Coachella, FYF Fest, and major music festivals where security is at its highest. This was really, really tough to get passes in the first place, and that's whenever I started to tip off the gation into the WFA. There were some rumors, there were some talks. I'm not going to go into specifics before we get to Henson and Sylvia, but ESPN normally charges $31,000 to broadcast a game on ESPN3. That's uh, multiple sources. That's people inside the league. There was a guy, and um, he worked for the WFA, that was able to get $25,000 off for the women's football championship, and they still didn't have any money to pay for that. They had to get Franco Harris, from what I'm told, to pay for ESPN in the first place. So I noticed this uh, a couple of weeks ahead of time. I noticed there were none of the other media outlets were covering the game. Uh, I thought that would be a great opportunity to go in and give coverage. One of the players in the game, this is what uh, Facebook's been going loud about, uh, I am a film director, and we offered Olivia Griswold, who used to play for Pittsburgh, uh, a just entertainment contract, a very simple entertainment contract where uh, we would get 33% of whatever she brought in extra. Like if Nike gave her money, Under Armour, 
anything whatsoever and help supplier with pads or get sponsorships. And in that 33%, we are going to act as a publicist and an agent, but not an agent of a league standpoint. Um, these players don't have health insurance half the time. And that really kind of got me like weirded out at first. Like, okay, what are they paying for? What is this entry fee going to? So I wanted to go and interview uh, Lisa King, who ran the league, uh, Teresa Kahn, uh, she runs the Pittsburgh Passion. And I had a call 45 times to even get a hold of Kahn in the first place to go cover the game. I couldn't even buy tickets. I, I wasn't going to be able to get into the game whatsoever. Last but not least, I ended up uh, you know, using Twitter, able to find out that some of the sponsorships that the league thought they were getting were going to only one team specifically. So we didn't think anything of it. We were able to get our team into the game to cover the game on the sideline. We witnessed the entire game. So that, what's interesting about that is the ESPN reporter, who uh, was just an independent contractor for ESPN3, he hit me up on Twitter asking for a job to broadcast 65 two days before we even covered the game, which I thought was kind of odd. We go down there, and the guy that was so nice, he's calling up, begging for a job, basically. He gives us the cold shoulder down there. Nobody's going to talk to us. So we're, like, we're just going to watch the game. You know, we're here for Olivia. We didn't talk to anybody in the league. We let the game proceed. And every time that it would be Savannah Henson uh, at the end of it, they'd say Sylvain Espinosa on the loudspeaker. They'd be Sylvain Espinosa with an interception. Sylvain Espinosa with a tackle. So we didn't think anything of it. Nobody told us that it wasn't Sylvia. We thought it was Sylvia the entire time. The Dallas and um, D.C. play an unbelievable game. We go home. Uh, you know, we'll get them next year. And um, I just let it sit for like a week. I was going to write up a story, but then I saw the D.C. Divas already had the story out before I did. Didn't think anything of it. And then I woke up last Saturday to an email, and it was a whistleblower from the D.C. Divas. And this thing was so in-depth. The scandal was so in-depth. And the, the cover-up that's been trying to take place since that day and you, you said it best earlier. There's a guy named Frank, uh, Frank Schwartz, who's going to run the WNFA. And realistically, Frank was one of the people that helped the WFA throughout the years. He hasn't walked away from the WFA. Uh, he doesn't want to break away from the WFA. He wants to have these girls be able to play football and get paid to play football. And uh, that's Frank's agenda. It's always been that way. And uh, that's why Frank decided to make the WNFA. But I have everything as far as the evidence. Uh, I know I'm, it's very overwhelming in the, in the act that not only did the DCD was cheat, they went out of their way to cover it up, and the league did as well. Now, uh, Josh, let's be specific on the cheating factor of it because the league is saying that the, that the player, even the player with, you know, it's not Sylvia, but the player that was put in place to play the game on game day was eligible to play based on the league bylaws. So what, yeah, what is the – According to the league bylaws, they're absolutely yep. correct. That's never right. been my argument. So that Henson was eligible to play the game. Two reasons why they did mm-hmm. not uh, say this to that play. One, because they did not notify the Dallas Elite, as the rules state, that you have, if a player is wearing a different jersey, you have to let the other team know. First of all – this isn't even a rule. It's just common sense. You, you're playing. You're trying to be professional. In the NFL, if uh, sure. Ryan you know, rips his jersey, is he going to go wear you know, sure. you know, pull around old Michael Irvin jersey and say that's not Dez? You know, it's just ridiculous in the first place. That's even in the rule book. But to their credit, that's not where the cheating takes place. But here's where the cheating takes place. One, they try to deceive the Dallas elite. So that Henson, that quarterback for Dallas, didn't throw an interception pretty much all year. She might have thrown one or two. She throws two in the championship game, and it's to the player wearing a different jersey. She's thinking that Sylvia Espinosa, a little used player all season, that was hurt. Sylvia Espinosa didn't play in any game, so 
why even say Sylvia? You have ESPN reporting the game. You know, ESPN's on there looking like jackass is pretty much saying, oh, that's Sylvia Espinosa making this play. It's not Sylvia. It's Savette. So if it was just a common misconception where she was wearing a different jersey, she wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have reported it was Sylvia. And then even the papers, they go out of their way to make. And I have the evidence too. They go on the Facebook page, write that it was Sylvia. They tell all the local media outlets in D.C. it's Sylvia. Sylvia gets to be a hometown hero for an entire week until the whistleblower steps up. And the whistleblower played for D.C. They were divided about this. The entire team was divided over this. Now, okay, so uh, are we having a disgruntled player outlast to the, towards the team because of? mistreatment or not being uh, catered to by the team? Is that any any case that could that could be the case? Because whistleblowers don't usually whistleblow unless they have some sort of negativity towards, you know, coaching staff or they have negativity towards the administration internally. I mean, so, I mean, are we looking at somebody like that in this case? You would think with the, how deep this went that it was that case, but here's what, I, here's what I have for you. Basically, the whistleblower – was just upset with not being fair to Dallas. She felt that, and some of the other players on the team too felt this as well, that D.C. should have just told them that it wasn't Sylvia, it was Savette. Savette was, uh, I guess the thing is, I guess she was a firefighter, and um, she was like, they were aiding an insurance fraud. So some of the girls are weirded out in the beginning with They didn't want Savette to play at all because Savette was supposed to be on disability. And this is where a lot of sure. national media wouldn't pick the story up. And not to eight outer, it's already been well. It's it's already their employment that I found has already figured this out. We left that part of the story out. We didn't even show anybody that until they discredited us on our story. So that you have that going on on one end. And that, look, they were told the Dallas elite. Everybody's been there. Look, we understand nobody's trying to commit insurance fraud. The Dallas elite would have been fine. But the fact that they didn't, the DC Divas have a long history of cheating with the WFA. And, in fact, I interviewed Teresa Kahn. I, I called Teresa Kahn before I even posted the story. They entered the Pittsburgh Passion, one of the best franchises in the league. And Teresa told me to go ahead and do what I needed to be done. She said she was sick of the cheating, to quote her on that. Um, you know, so this wasn't the first cheating scandal that's ever plagued the league. Um, when I did even more research, you know, there's years of it. The IWFL has their own uh, cheating scandals going on. That's why all these teams are migrating to Frank. And, uh, you know, here's some weird stuff, too. I try to reach out. I try to do my due diligence. Uh, I'm a credited reporter for the NFL. I don't want to lose my media credentials for posting garbage on Broadcast 65. Broadcast 65 is LLC in the Pittsburgh area as a media company. Our reputation is everything, as I'm sure you guys are aware, too. If you guys post stuff that's not true, people aren't going to go to you. Well, whenever uh, I saw that they they discredited my story, I try to reach Lisa King, and I can forward the emails over to you. Lisa King, men's league. Um, I was very polite. I said, Lisa, look, this isn't my goal to bring down everything. I said, I have proof that you guys covered it up. I have overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelming proof. I mean, the whistleblower that emailed me, she put together the whole investigation for me. If, if I forwarded you guys the email, you'd be amazed. She has 10 bullets, and she saw it on all 10 of them. I looked into every claim that she made, everything checked out, and that's where I had a couple people at the top of the WFA or people that had done work with WFA. You know, they have sued people for – uh, they sued one of these guys that originally started the WFA for, uh, you know, using their credit card at Enterprise, where you have to have a driver's license. Just weird, weird claims that somehow they're getting away with it. And, uh, you know, I've been, you know, they've kind of said they're going to come after me. They're going to file civil lawsuits, um, intimidation. Like the oh same whistleblower that was working with us for two days, she calls begging. She, I have all the messages. I can screenshot all this. She's like, please stop, please stop. Coaches are calling me, and the coach tried to call me from the D.C. dealers. And uh, this is one of the coaches. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was the head coach or not. 
but he called me irate, tried to be cool at first. He's like, look, we told Dallas, we told Dallas. I said, well, no, you did. I, I just interviewed O.J. Jenkins, the league owner for the Dallas Elite. She has no idea. Teresa Cohen had no idea. Nobody knew that it was Savette Henson in the first place. And I just started my investigation, and it went from there. I mean, the, the evidence is so overwhelming. It's almost laughable that they're trying to still smear my name online. I mean, anybody go if you guys would go post on the WFA page, there's like 180 likes and probably like 80 shares. Go post uh, just one little bit of evidence that I have, and they'll delete it right away. Same thing with the DC Divas Facebook page. In fact, if you go on the DC Divas Facebook page as of a few minutes ago, they still had Sylvia Espinosa reported on there making the interception. So if it was for that and there wasn't any cheating or anything, why go to the magnitude to cover it up as they have and the league as well? So wait, let me... Do you guys have any questions for Josh? I do. So, Josh, just for clarity... Okay. Sylvia Espinoza was eligible to play. However... Sylvia wouldn't have been eligible. She actually was out all season. The name Sylvia Espinoza right then and there, if it would have been Sylvia, she she didn't play in any games all year. She tore her ACL before the season began. Okay. So <laughs> Which is weird. They, so, who, so who then did they say was the person playing? No, they said it was Sylvia. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, gosh, okay. The, yeah, okay, I understand. Sylvia was yeah. not eligible to play all year, and then all of a sudden she just shows up in the championship game. Right. Got you. Only it really wasn't Sylvia. It was the vet, and the vet was the one playing, but she was using Sylvia Espinosa's name. Right. So let's say quarterbacks back to pass. You know, you're looking to your left, you're looking to your right. You're not worried about Savette Henson, the girl actually is capable of having two interceptions. You're going that way thinking there's Sylvia Espinosa out there, somebody that's had a torn ACL. You know, you're not going to – And therefore you fans. think you're throwing to a damaged, weakened player who's not going to be able the, to – That's why the, the whole thing about it. It wasn't just the interception. It's the entire game. If they just now let I know, Yeah, if they would have let just Dallas know in the first place, hey, you know what, this is Savannah Henson. She doesn't have her number eight jersey. But, look, they knew this a week ahead. This is their plan. I have all these screenshots from Facebook posts where they're looking for a jersey for Sylvette to wear. And then they're asking, actually saying and tagging Sylvia Espinosa, does anybody know her? Can anybody meet up with Sylvia Espinosa to get her jersey? And I, I have screenshots of text messages. I mean, I, I did my homework on this. I had, I gave this evidence to the league. Actually, the league received the evidence four days before our story came out from the whistleblower herself, and they just pretty much told her to shut up and be quiet. And that's where, you know, I, after interviewing Dallas, I, the right thing was to do. I, I had my ducks in a row. I published the story. Wow. Troy, you got anything for Josh? Yeah, I, I, that's crazy. Well, my my question and, and the biggest question I have is what now? So, yeah. you know, all all of this is coming out. Um, there, there's, there's some denial. There's some admission. There is – so what is the fallout? I, I mean, so we see this all the time in college football where – you know, some we find out later on the player was ineligible, and they end up taking away games and things like that. So, how how is that going to work with this? Is the title going to be vacated? Are they going to give the title to Dallas? How does that work? Well, here's what happened. They're still in denial completely. They've not admitted any any guilt whatsoever. As of now, they still have us discredited on our story. So, what I did first was I reached out to Frank. I was going to create my own league, but I didn't have the capital that was necessary to have the professional league that the girls deserve. Frank is a hell of a business guy. 
Uh, he already had a media deal lined up. He already had an actual pro league with a women's combine lined up. So I said, hey, I suggest this to him. I get a look. Why don't we take the teams from the WFA and the IWFO and actually create a league that is similar to the NFL? On the media coverage, we can run that side of things until you guys get ESPN to come on with Fox Sports. We have to unify the league. We can partner with FanDuel. We can make it acceptable for betting to be placed on women's football. Gambling is actually going to help women more than ever because, as you see in the WNBA and other women leagues that are actually run the right way, that it's a, it's a plausible option. So at that point, you get sponsors involved, and the WNSA, which Frank could probably lead this morning, he should probably join you guys next week. Frank had some monumental ideas and that changed the sport. Basically, the WFA needs to cease and desist, basically. I mean, we can probably go for days and, you know, we could talk for hours at length of all the WFA scandals that have happened. Uh, they need to just drop what they're doing. So does the IWFL. They need to create a board on the WNSA. They all work together get a polished product on the field. It's no longer would it be acceptable for players to wear a different jersey if they forgot theirs. No longer would it be acceptable for them not to have health insurance. No longer would it be acceptable for them to pay their own way to games and have to you go out and do 15, 20 fundraisers to play in one game, which is the case now. Um, I mean, realistically, you're just going to have to have all the teams come together, show 30 teams unified, and then let Frank go to his work and go get national sponsors and take care of the travel, get an airline to take care of all the away games, get football fields from the National Football League, uh, it's a tax write-off. For example, let's say in Dallas, one of my ideas was originally when I signed Olivia was contact Jerry Jones and say, hey, Jerry, look, you have a beautiful stadium that you love showing off on national TV. We can bring ESPN here for every one of your home games. Dallas is one of the best teams. You know, it's a tax write-off for Jerry at the end of the day. It employs people. Women's football can help go a long way to employing people all over the country. Same people that work in the stadium for NFL games. You know, our goal is to pack the house and work with sponsors to give away brand new cars. Creative marketing is where it's going to be uh, won at, and there is going to be a plus side of all this to happen. But first, the WFA needs to pretty much. I'm asking the WFA to make a statement crediting my story. If they just can stand up and admit what they did, you know, I can go about you know life a lot easier. Because as of right now, that's our biggest story that we have. Over 15,000 people we reached on Facebook from that story. And it's pretty much put me and my company in harm's way because we want we're discredited right now, and there's no reason that we should be. So, yeah, Josh, I totally agree with uh, that. So, I mean, if, if yeah. you're reporting a story, I mean, this is you know, it's freedom of press. But I mean, they're all to to your point. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be any backlash. But there, you know, there's going to be some expected because I guess when. DC is looking at it. Their reputation is on the line. But and in, in saying that, do you know if any bylaws are in place that could punish a team for such an offense? I would think that if you are creating a league, then someone you know has also created some bylaws. Do you have any kind of information as to what the punishment would be if, in fact, they did find out that that DC played with an ineligible player? God, I hate to be the one to break it to everybody, but the, the women's football alliance and D.C. pretty much go hand-in-hand. Hand. A lot of D.C. divas, I mean, this is what I've been told. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers, a lot of old money. Even the whistleblower brought this to my attention. This isn't going anywhere. This is never going to be admitted from the D.C. divas. This will go on for the rest of time. They're going to deny it and say that they told Dallas. And the Women's Football Alliance is always going to back them up on that. So what's going to happen here is the league, is the, people are either going to go join this league and be taken advantage of from the WFA. I, I have tons of teams. 
tons of show owners that would come on and tell you about what it was like to work with these people. It's like North Korea, man. You know, if I'm going to go over and start the league, and I'm sure one of the mimics of the WFA standard, it's the North Korea style. You have a dictator at top, and you keep all the media to yourself, and that's exactly what the WFA did. They didn't want third-party journalists to come in. They didn't want the extra media coverage. They wanted to keep operating under the umbrella of a nonprofit, and they're basically making money off these girls. Not to like take it too far, and I don't want to seem like too extreme. Think about it. Look, you have a lot of these uneducated women, and I don't mean to say it like that. You have, you have some really smart, intelligent women, but the league now is feasting on unintelligent women that just want to play football, and right now, you know, they, they just pay the entry fee. I mean, they don't really shouldn't even have to. We already have the sponsors. Right now, Frank can just say, hey, look. I mean, Frank went there. He, he told Lisa King this. He said, look, at least let me sponsor the girls so they don't have to keep paying to play football. That was our, that's the first thing he went to Lisa King with. And Lisa denied that request. And uh, at that point, Josh. you started shaking your head and wondering why. Yes. Josh, do, uh, you do yes. realize that we have we are probably one of the first that – have you know challenged the models on both leagues because to me the the WFA and the IWFL have always been recreational mindset. It is a recreational mindset. So that means there's You're only right. you know yeah. the ownership right. the owner the ownership at the top is you know going to get revenue. I mean if you look at the revenue that is in, that is earned per team, okay. My debate has always been if you're if you're asking a team to you know to fund over five thousand to seven thousand dollars for you know to enter the league the the issue that i have is the league structure doesn't have a structure where it benefits you know where the last four teams of the season even if the last four teams of the season were competitive enough to to raise the final uh there's no there's no model in place for them to get a, a leg up from the league to say hey if you guys fundraise at the end of the year to get to the championship we'll go ahead and you know w up 50 percent of that cost or something like that. But since it's a recreational league, the mindset on a recreational league, and we've always, I've always, you know, sat here and said it, uh, because it's a recreational league, nobody is going out of their way to acquire a big sponsorship because that doesn't benefit individuals as itself. It would be now league mandated where it needs to be spread out and equally shared. So nobody's going to share the pot if you're getting X amount of dollars in as two individuals. So if me and you are hooked up tomorrow, and we're getting all this revenue from about 60 to 70 teams, and we're looking at about $7,000 to $10,000 each, each team to run the league, it doesn't take much to create a schedule, okay? Because from what I've been told, right. a lot of the ownership from that point, once the entry fee is you know, given in, a lot of the owners are on their own in terms of sponsorship and marketing. So they're not getting supported through the chain at the, you know, at the head office in that sense. They might get supported – you know, at the end of the year, like you did here with the ESPN3 model or whatever like that. But, you know, reality is that this is not – these two leagues are not professional as much as they want to claim they are. They are basically recreational, you know, nonprofit. So they are out there to give opportunities to women, and the women pay to play. And so that's the model that's been in place for, you know, 30 years. And, and that hasn't been successful, uh, and that's obviously the case. And that's the reason that yeah. – these leagues will end up mocking, let's say, the lingerie league because the lingerie league at this point is in major arenas and it's getting revenue from sponsors and is obviously, obviously getting and revenue from arena know. intake and facilities. So, so two different mindsets and two different models. So your motto, you're saying right now, you're telling us right now that Frank has a viable model and structure 
to where you could run a 30-team league and be somewhat profitable or break even in a first-season format? Yeah, absolutely, as long as and there are conditions as always. But, look, as long as the league owners that we bring in understand branding, understand have their teams follow our structure, how to tag things correctly on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because that's where the game and sponsorships all heading. We all know that. We all see it. A lot of businesses out there aren't advertising on radio and television. They're advertising on social media. So one of the benefits that my company brings to the table with Broadcast 65 is nobody can match our organic reach on Facebook or Twitter, meaning that on Facebook, if we post something just like we posted a story, we can show a reach of 15,000 from our business account, and there's only 700 people that like the page. What that means is everything we post, about 50 to 100 people are out there sharing. Now, could you imagine if you duplicated this process for every team in the league? So the first step is you get 30 owners on board, 30 owners that understand branding. With that, Frank and I can go attack every major sponsor to the point where we get transportation taken care of. We get uh, merchandise. Get, players can give their families jerseys. And players don't have to get all these fundraisers because it's so organized top. And we weren't even trying to take away from hey, the WFA. Our first goal was to Josh, the WFA achieve this. Josh, the model that we've suggested in a long time, I mean, Troy's here and Kishi, we've been here for a long time. So the model that I've always suggested is the, the only way this, you know, professional model works is you have to take an arena football-style mindset, which is on the East mm-hmm. Coast is the only place that you can be valuable because the West Coast is so spread out that you're not going to have that, that continuity. But you, if you put the branding, you know, you take, uh, let's say, a Montreal Blitz, you take uh, Boston Renegades, you take New York Sharks, you know, you, you take the East Coast swing from Chicago all the way to the East Coast in a 6-12 to 12 team initial launch. And I will tell you right now, in a 36-month period, you're going to be able to have a brand product that can expand to 20 and then at some point expand to 30 because you have to get the branding out there. And in order for you to do that, I mean, a six to 12 team initial would be great. The model that I've always suggested to the two leagues is the fact that there's no sharing pool. So in other words, for example, the owners are not unified because if you have a sharing pool, the teams that are currently in the WFA, for example, the Pittsburghs, the Bostons, the DCs, and Chicago's and all those, if those teams were supported by all the ownership, they'd be able to expand their sponsorship and branding to a point where television revenue, if not social media uh, you know, intake and obviously outreach, would help them and benefit them greatly in terms of marketing and in bringing them to a stadium, taking them out of the high school stadium mentality and put them into a, some sort of, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a major college, but at least a Division three or Division two type of setting in terms of college setting that upgrades them to a more valuable product. So the, the attitude is there that, that the vision isn't there. The vision isn't there in terms of these two leagues, um, you know, in terms of elevating that level of branding because they're comfortable with the recreational status. Right. Everything you said, those are great points. That's exactly uh, – well, we had discussions for the past two weeks with all the owners now. Uh, that's exactly what I was trying to bring to the table. But what's interesting about Frank in this situation is that Frank actually had an actual pro league ready to go. And I said, Frank, look, before you unveil your pro league, that pays players forty to $50,000 a year. These are big-time sponsorships. It's like a $500 million sponsorship that he's been working out with between ESPN and Fox, from what I'm told. Basically, uh, I said, look, 
take the leagues that are already in place, you make them semi-pro for a year, basically, where they're under the they're under the banner. But every player that plays in the league next year is draft eligible for the following year. So you actually have one major draft, all their stats from next season where they can relocate because the players are going to have to relocate to another city for this pro league that he was talking about. He's agreed to start this pro league either in 2018 or 2019. That's the main league with the $500 million media sponsor. In the meantime, why his why he can go to 30 teams and probably will go to 30 or 40 teams is because – Think about this. There's three or four airlines out there that are always competing with each other. All we need is one airline to step up. And there there are women at the top of these airlines on the boards. One airline steps up to be one of the major sponsors for this women's league where they just supply the flights for one team for a road game. That's it. The revenue that they can make is going to be extreme, as well as the women themselves, because that's the biggest issue that they have is transportation. Number two is the stadium. You, You touched on it. Taking out of the high school mentality. Well, I don't know if you guys are aware of what happened at Texas A&M, but huge, huge story last week. Um, a couple of football coaches ran a women's clinic, and they, they were just, you know, sexist. It was very, it just made the college look pretty bad. So we're going to reach out to Texas A&M. We're going to reach out to colleges out there. We're going to help make this game on the college stadium side. So basically, you know, you, you don't have to play in the high school stadiums. Or if you're playing in a high school stadium, you best believe you're playing in one of the best high school stadiums around. Because every game, the last luxury that we have, we already have television deals in place for this league for next year. My company alone can supply all the cameras and give the same exact product that ESPN3 gave out on the stream. With the Internet nowadays, you can stream games more than ever, and that's going to be able to give you a virtual presentation. It's also going to be able to give you that next level of statistics. You just need a statistician in every game, basically, and what we're saying is, hey, we're there already. This is the 30 years of you know trial and error hasn't worked. We've been there already. We wanted to, we wanted to just simply cover the WFA. When this scandal came out, that's whenever I needed a guy like Frank to step in and say, hey, you know what, Josh, I'm gonna get some serious money behind all your vision and your goals. And you know, like I said, we have an owners meeting here in December in Tampa Bay. You guys, I would love to have you guys come down. We want to have an entire board. We're not just trying to run this ourselves. We want to have a board established. It's all about the women. It's all about realistically putting a product on the field or if everybody's just wasting their time, like you said it best, it's a recreation, recreational sport as it sits now. Let's make it professional. Let's get on it. Cause now's the time, especially with social media and everything else that we have to offer. Yeah. And, and I mean, well, if you me... take the, the NWHL model, you could pretty much get to that level because like I've said it before, even if you started with a six to 12 model initially, you'll still get an audience. And then if you build from that audience and stability within a 24-month, 36-month, it will dictate growth. So, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's been guaranteed in, in any model, uh, especially when you bust your hump and try to get the major sponsors, like you're saying, with the dollar amounts. Absolutely, guys. Well, I appreciate you having me on for sure. I'll have uh, Frank maybe reach out to you guys. Get him on. He's a little bit better of a talker than I am, and he has his ducks in a row, so to speak. So, Definitely, you guys get a chance to interview Frank, and any time you need anything in the future, don't be afraid to reach out to us at Broadcast 65. We definitely appreciate you guys having us on. All right, Josh. Thank you for making the time. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, the uh, launch and obviously the information. I'll try to uh, dive into Frank. I think we messaged him already, so I'm pretty sure he's a busy guy, but we'll try to get him on. So thanks for, for coming on and clarifying that uh, in terms of what's going on with that, and we'll look forward to any other breaking news that's happening with that. All right, time to you guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Josh.
All right, guys. So that was Josh King. And uh, I, you know what? I've had this discussion various times, uh, even before you guys have come on board with me, with, before Erica and uh, right before, um, you know, Eric and all that. Um, we've discussed it here on air at length. The, the issue here really is that it's, it's you know, the, the leagues, um, you have to have a recreational model because it, it's, it's a feeder system. So we got to have a feeder system. So you can't take away that model. But with the same token, in order for it to advance to the level that Josh is talking about, you have individuals like Frank, for example, who has now, from what he's telling us, has some interested parties that will be able to contribute large amounts of funding. And also, to his point, if you get something of a major sponsor to take care of that, you're looking at that model. Um, I mean, and Keisha, you could probably talk to it more than I can, but we're looking at a, at a starter WNBA model where when the NBA started, you know, they, they basically supported it for a certain amount, but the amount of loss there would be a little great at the first year. He's telling us right now from what he was telling us that there's a somewhat not, not a big loss, but more of a break-even mentality. So that would be beneficial to, you know, to the sport, of course, overall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, because I mean, I guess that's the initial, the initial issue with anyone that's going to invest in anything is, am I going to lose money? It's not even necessarily how much right. I'm going to change. So that's the biggest thing. So if you are at least starting off at breaking even, you know, chances are you say, okay, if we're breaking even now, you know, we can learn from that first season and you know how to manage and and, and also how to increase revenue the next season. So. If you can sell that point to people who are possibly investing, then, yeah, that would be a great selling point for them. Well, part of that also, if you're going to sell something, you have to not only have a product to sell, but you also have to have something else. You have to have what we have also talked about extensively is you've got to be able to have an emotional investment in the product. And part of the problem with and what I can see in terms of why the divas could want something like this to go away. Like, if we wanted to go with Josh's model and, 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 you know, what you guys are saying in terms of moving things forward and moving the team out of the WFA and putting them in this new model where they actually will legitimately have teams and health insurance and basically be treated like a professional player as opposed to, um, you know, a rec league is the fact that, how are, where's the emotional buy-in and what's the emotional attachment for people to want to play? Now, Troy, I know you said you just want to see football, you know, but are there enough people who just want to see football who are willing to come and support these people in whom they have no mental and emotional investment? Because right now the NFL, as we all know, is really being run by corporations and corporate sponsorships. The average fan and we know this from going to games, literally is priced out of the sport that they love. So even though it's the fans who are buying all the merchandise on the ground level and keeping these teams afloat in that area, um, the major funds are at the sponsorship level. But you don't get to the sponsorship level until you have an active fan base. So you're almost at chicken and egg, and what is the incentive for people to connect to these uh, female football team. 
Yeah, that's the that's the issue you run into. I mean, it, do you have enough of an audience for that? From what he's telling us, they've already been working on that. It's a it's a model similar to like I just said. You know, it's a Legends Football League model on a grander scale because um, if you take the LFL model right now, he's running six teams. He's only playing two games, pretty much only four games, two home games, two away games, um, because of the fact that the arena cost is going to cut into him. And everybody says, well, why can't he play six, you know, six games instead of four? The reason for that is logistics, because right now he has an arrangement and he has a brand that has been over, you know, over time since 2009. Now he has a comfort arrangement. Anybody that knows you, once you build a relationship with an arena or an establishment, at some point you get a percent cutoff. And you get some sort of perk for it, for, uh, you know, putting on some dates and, and setting up that. So, I mean, if they can get to that level where they elevate it from a high school status to, a, you know, a small college Division three stadium or a Division two stadium, that's still, uh, you know, moving the needle forward. Um, so, I mean, how true sponsorship, uh, um, you know, reliability is, that's going to be the key right there. Because you're looking at the NWF, the NWHL, and in year two, um, they're going into a strong status because of their first year when they took on a major sponsor like Dunkin' Donuts, which continues to support them. And now they've gotten like three or four more sponsors going now. So the players in that league are not making big bucks, but in reality, they are obviously comp- getting compensated. So the sport is growing in that sense. So that's, I think that's the model that they, Josh is mentioning about the women's game. We need to get to a level where you get a major, major couple sponsors and then able to compensate these women for that, for the, you know, being athletes. And then um, because of the social media platforms that we currently have nowadays, there is an obviously a level of streaming where people are more uh, to, to stream versus the old days where you had to get a TV or a cable outlet. Now it's like you can actually watch it in, in different mediums and outlets. So, I guess, you know, we're evolving. He, he's a visionary in that, in that sense. And, and like I said, the WFA and the IWFL have not branched out to that vision yet, and that's what's holding them back. Well, I think they haven't branched out to that vision, but I think that the reality is what do they want? You know, because the quality of the athlete has improved. The quality of the product has improved. But what is it that the ownership wants to do with it? And we've always, you know, and as we've always talked about the feeder system, you know, look at the people who are coming in for the first time ever. It's literally almost like in some ways you have a group of people who come together to play flag football just for a fun, but then discover, wow, we're actually really good at this, you know, and and, and let's take this bigger, better, stronger, and now we're going to start creating professional, uh, and I didn't say flag, kickball, you know, now they're trying to create professional kickball leagues, and you have teams that are now, you know, competing against each other, but what does the ownership want? To say that you're an owner of a team, what does that encompass? What does that mean in terms of responsibility? Uh, your fiduciary responsibility to the team, the equipment, all of the above, and what are people going to have to give up? Right, exactly. That's that's the point. Is what are they going to have to give up? So, but the the uh, the actual thing is, it's a great idea to start the league. Are you going to get the quality squads to represent a TV audience to a good game? So we're, we're you know the question is, 
are we going to get the Dallas elites, the Utah Falcons style play? Are we going to get the Pittsburgh Passion, Chicago Force, the Boston Renegades play, the the Montreal Blitz play? Um, you know the you know the, the the New York Shark play, the Minnesota Vixen play. You know, I mean, are we, are we going to get quality football on the field? Because you know, with any league. Um, you know, Troy will attest to this. He's a WWE, WWE junkie like I am. Are we going to get the XFL? <laughs> and, and that's kind of branding. And that'll just set them back even more because people are going to be turned off by that in that self. So it's, it's really a fine line between elevating the sport and really uh, gathering the audience because otherwise you're going to go the way of the XFL. So that's just not good. <laughs> well, and that's I get exactly you guys... what we don't want. I kind of want to get exactly. you guys' take on this one because there are enough models out there as far as, like, um, you know, starting leagues, as far as, like, um, you know, revenue-generating leagues. How much do you – how much do you guys think that uh, – how much do you believe that research is being put into this? Because there are there are people out there who are knowledgeable about this thing, you know. So, I mean, and you can't necessarily use the NFL as a model because the model for the NFL – was you know started back in in, in 1920. Uh, the same thing with the sure, NBA, sure. Uh, MLB. So I mean, so a lot of times what they do is they go to the WNBA model. That's the first thing that pops into your head because women's sports. Yeah. That is the one that is right now the pinnacle of women's sports as far as like uh, notoriety and and focus. So how much research do you think that these teams or these um, commissioners? Are putting into you know taking uh, you know that WNBA model or even more so to the point asking the WNBA or the NBA for help as far as like you know ideas on how they can generate revenue. Yeah, I mean it's a good point because you're like I said the point I was making is you got the W uh, the NWHL that you know the women's uh, hockey league not supported by the NHL right now. They literally branched out and started their own. So it, to your point, Troy, there was a lot of research before they started, you know, to launch or to launch it because you have to be, have a, a major sponsor support for travel expenses and for everything else. So Josh, from what he was telling us, they've already have that. So if you have that, that's less of a hurdle, especially if you have an airline that's going to do travel from one place to another. Um, so yeah, that eliminates a lot of headaches right there because Number one, tr- number one headache is logistics in terms of travel. I mean, that's what the majority of the women do during the season is fundraising to get to, from one city to the next to play their games. So if you eliminate that, uh, obviously that's a huge hurdle, huge hurdle. Am I silent? Did I did I silence everybody? No, you didn't. That was I mean because you're absolutely right and and. And it's frustrating because we know there's a quality product there, you know, and, and that, I think that for me is the frustration of knowing that that they're definitely. I don't know if you're cutting out. I think you're cutting in can and you out. Can guys hear me? Um, in case we, oh. Yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry. Okay. No, I, I think that. The problem is that we're all on the right track. We're all saying this, you know, we're all in agreement that there's quality product, there's an opportunity here to, for money to be made. There's an opportunity here for something to happen. Um, I think it's, what I think is really interesting is that the LFL 
is the league making money and that they're the league, you know, they have all of the things that the other two leagues wish they had, yet the players in the LFL are still facing some of the same issues as the players in the WFA and the IWFL. I think that, to me, is is just as, you know. Yeah, the pay-to-play mentality still, is still a hurdle. The pay-to-play mentality is still a hurdle no matter what. Profitability is, you know, the fact that uh, I know for a fact that the LFL breaks even. They're not profitable. I mean, they might be profitable to a certain percent, but they're not profitable enough to do that. They could be able to do that. But at this point, it's probably not, you know, not going to be the case. And unless they get some other major sponsors to come in, I mean, what sponsors they have, they've retained. It's not like they're anybody's latching out to them. You know, we're talking no Under Armour, no Russell Athletics, no major in Nike or anything like that is obviously launched or attached to them. Uh, the moment that happens, and obviously that increases their, you know, the revenue intake. So now you have an opportunity, obviously, to spread the spread the wealth. But that hasn't happened either. So looks to me like, I mean, how many, uh, I mean, Troy probably knows, uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, arena football, men's arena football leagues that spring up all the time and they fall and falter and fail and they resurge and all that stuff. So it's, you know, that's, I think that's everybody's leery about. Everybody always gets that leeriness about the fact that they're going to start a pro league, but is it a scam? You know, they have that mentality where it's just going to last for a season and somebody takes, you know, this big amount of dollars from the revenue that they made for that one season and never and leaves town and never comes back. So a lot of times I think that's the mindset of some of the, of somebody, uh, you know, that comes up with this vision and says, we can do this, we can take care of this. And in the back of the mind, everybody's kind of leery about it because at one point or another, somebody's got shafted in that sense. Yeah, I agree. And you know what else, though? And it's hard on the fans, too, because, again, like you mentioned, the um, – oh, God, what was the uh, – what was that other men's football league, the one that uh, failed? I think Troy mentioned it, or was it you, Oscar? The, um, I think it was the, the XFL, and then there was the USFL yeah, the after that. Yes, and, and both of those leagues barely lasted two, three years at tops, and you're right. The, and what's really interesting is that those leagues had the money, they had the endorsement, they had the star power. Yep. They had all of it, you know. But for whatever reason, they still have not hit on the right formula as the WNBA and the um, the NHL and the M- MLB and, you know, of course, obviously the NFL in terms of what it takes to uh, have the fans. And I'm and I'm wondering if you know at this point. The only difference here is that it's women's sports. I think the only difference here is it's women's sports, so it it could fly. You know what I mean? Because just like the WNBA, it took a while for branding to create be created. It could be different because we're not on a men's scale league like the XFL or the other leagues that have sprung up. You're going against the big dog. And survival against the big dog is going to be very minimal. <laughs> That's why a lot of the, a lot of NFL owners um, that were invested into the um, AFL or the Arena League at one point decided to bail because there was so much corruption internally, there was so much scamming that they decided to you know not invest any more money into it. It was huge at one point. It was on ESPN, ESPN Two, and everywhere right. else, and all of a sudden. 
now it's just like it's not even non it's non-existent now because of the fact that uh, whoever uh, the commissioner was or whoever was involved into those leagues decided to obviously scam the league instead of grow the league. And so NFL owners, you know, they put up so much money and they figured, okay, uh, a year or two and you're losing and you're losing, uh, it's not profitable, they bail. I mean, they're, they're smart people. They're not going to just – they're not going to support a product. I mean, they, if they pulled a plug on NFL Europe, uh, you know, within that sense, they're obviously certainly going to pull the plug on an arena league, arena team that's not going to be profitable. But you know what I don't want to have happen is like women's major league soccer. And, you know, it was profitable. You know, it was going great. You know, we um, the women's um, major league soccer was just as viable at one point as the men's, especially because we had the popularity of the U.S. women's, um, um, the women's cup team, you know, that was that first year when they beat Japan back in, what was that, like, 97 or whatever, and, you know, based on the popularity of those teams, you know, women's soccer as a professional organization was really strong for five years, and then it just faded away, yet men's soccer is still here. Yeah, it's but it's hard because, like I said, the sponsorships aren't as much there as it is in men, and and that's traditional. Um, Let's see, we have on the line here, hold on, I got somebody on the line here, and I could be wrong, I'm thought I only had one guest, but I've obviously been known to misplace my notes. So let's see here. Who's on the line calling in the Blitz? Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Frank Shorts. Hey, Frank, uh, thanks for calling in. I did not know uh, if you were going to make it or not. So thanks for calling in. Uh, we just spoke to Josh concerning the, the new venture. Um, I, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the details on it? Well, Josh covered it relatively well. Um, I actually spoke to him a while ago. I was actually um, just calling to listen on the phone. I did not realize that I was going to be on the show. So oh, no, I just thought you were you were on, so I thought I'd bring you on. No, I was actually looking at your Facebook page um, while it was on, so I called in so I could, wouldn't miss anything. But that's okay. No problem. I mean, yeah, uh, I can put you on hold if you like, if, or we can reset another time. I'm already here. Um, quite all right. All right. Well, the only question we have, Frank, is that the models, we had talked to Josh, the WFA and the IWFL models, uh, in my eyes, I've been covering the sport since 2009, but in my eyes, it's always been more of a recreational model in sense, in terms of development and growth in that sense, but never been to a level of elevating it to a pro status. So it's kind of interesting to, uh, you know, to bring the Josh brought that up as well as yourself, that there is a probability uh, with some major sponsorship to cover some cost of traveling. But um, I mean, he, he put it at a 30 team model. Would it be more viable to start it at 12 to 16 model in that sense? Well, we get very excited when we talk about it. Josh is very passionate and so am I, but my business model starts with 10 to 12 teams. There you go. That's what I was thinking. And that's that's, and think. that's that's logical. Oh, sorry, Frank. Hi, this is Inkishi. How are you? Welcome to the show. No problem. I appreciate it. I like the way you guys mix it up. Um, I've listened to quite a few shows over the years, and I like the way you mix it up. The the opinions are are on both sides of the ball, and that's the way it needs to be. Um, 
However, there was a little mix-up with the, with the announcement. Um, I've gotten hundreds of phone calls and emails. Um, basically, the business model was for a pro league, nothing really great and grandeur. It was just a, a vision. And I have talked to quite a few people, and I will tell you this, um, there is nothing solid yet. However, there is quite a few meetings lined up, actually with major media. I will tell you right now, I am under an NDA, which means I can't say a word. Um, they're allowed to, right, right. but I'm not. <laughs> um, right. So No, we understand. I mean, that's, that's, in, that's uh, business arrangements, and that always happens, especially with something of an endeavor that is not obviously uh, – you know, set to launch at any time soon, but it's in the works. So we we per- perfectly understand that. Well, I will tell you this. It took me over 90 days just to go through the legal department at one of these major media corporations to get the NBA to make the proposal. So this is a long process. I like the way you guys were talking about research. Um, I've logged thousands of hours in research. Um, part of my marketing plan uh, is just out, outstanding. I will tell you this right now. Um, this is official. As uh, we have a presentation going to a stadium in less than 48 hours, we've already made it through the preliminaries. Talking about is a city and a state getting involved in the team. Okay, this is the business model. I'll give you a little taste. Um, and it's very exciting. So here's what's going to happen. The team, city, or state that actually partners with the WNFA is literally going to name the brand-new team, okay? We're going to get the city involved. We're going to get the, the, all the fans involved, okay? going to be a lot of giveaways. And, yes, there is a couple of proposals out there to some major automakers, that um, we're looking, we're hoping, will get involved. This is not a fly-by-night operation, and it is a two- to three-year process. Um, But I want people to know there's hope out there. I've been working for the the WFA for this whole entire season. I've put in over 15 proposals to major companies. We're talking about Dunkin' Donuts, Anheuser-Busch, Verizon. And what the feedback is, is what is my ROI? Well, as a lot of you know, we don't get a lot of fans. Um, we get a lot Correct. of uh, people online talking about it, but the fan base on some of these games is a couple hundred people. So the ROI was a, an issue. So, And my sister actually plays. Uh, she plays in the WFA. So my wife was a strength and conditioning coach for one of the teams also. She made Team USA this year so she had to uh, for another sport, so she had to resign. But I, I love women's football. I'm very passionate about it. And it's one of the few sports where you can get involved even if you lack some talent. And that's the problem in these two leagues is it is recreational. Okay. Now, here's the other thing. You have – Lisa has tried, and she is continuing to try. I'm here to elevate the sport, not bash it. I don't have a – single thing, there may be some, it's a broken system, we know that, but Lisa has done a very good job at trying to um, bring the game up to a little bit more professional level, 
Um, if you read some of the comments out there, um, they do keep better stats. They do require certain things. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, when you're starting something out, you know, everybody has a day job. Nobody's making a million dollars off of this. So that's what we need to do, though. We need this pro league, 10 to 12 teams where you can take the best players in the country that are willing to give up their day job for, you know, for six months out of the year. And we need to put on a professional product. Now, I've talked to hundreds of players um, from around the world, um, and there's some really good talent. So this is where I'm pitching at major sponsors. We need to get, but you need a media contract, and Josh knows that. You guys know that. You have to get it out there. If you don't have a media contract, you have nothing. You, uh, the, the, yeah, I mean, the and, and that's the issue. That's the issue that's been happening for a long time is, you know, this is a puzzle, broken puzzle, um, and that's the reality right there. To your point, you just hit it on the nose. If, if you don't get that, you really don't have visibility, um, and the ROI is really worthless because nobody's going to look at that. You get that, somebody might have a second look at it. And let me tell you this. Number one, it, it doesn't matter what the, the monetary value of the contract is. Matter of fact, I believe it was uh, Major League Soccer signed a deal with uh, ESPN, and this is part of the model too. They don't get a dime for ESPN to broadcast their games. However, Correct. all the fees to actually film the events. So even in that model, and you have a few sponsors, in the first year of play, you – can't afford to pay the girls, and this is where Josh is going, say you can't pay, but the team doesn't have to pay. The girls don't have to pay. We're going to supply equipment and travel. All right, you're looking at $10,000, $12,000, $15,000 per game on a, 14, on a 10 to 14 game schedule is a big outlay for a corporate sponsor on 10 teams. So, but once you get so that, Frank, that's a full Yes, sir. But that's the but that's the basis no, what anyone should have. I mean, if you're gonna if we're going to say that we are a professional team, then the reality is the owner it comes prepared with equipment, ready to play, so that the players can just walk in and do their job. That means you've got the infrastructure. You know, just like you don't just like with a city, you don't just mm-hmm. say, Hey, come live here but you don't have a school, you don't have roads, you don't have a hospital, you don't right. have at least one grocery store, you gotta have a gas station, you know, you, you've got to have you got to have residences, you have to have apartments for those who either A don't need a lot of space and or A don't want a home or can't afford a, a, a three bedroom, four bedroom home. You've got to have infrastructure, you've got to have objects. And then when you have the things put in place that you need, then you invite people to come live in your city. A team is the same way. You've got to have the infrastructure to be able to maintain a team. You've got to have a general manager. You've got to have a head coach. You've got to have assistant coaches. You've got to have position coaches. You have to have someone who manages the equipment. You've got to have um, the team doctor. You've got to have someone, you know, who can take care of the injuries, um, you know, the physical trainers. You've got to be able to have someone whose job is to do nothing but manage the equipment in terms of the uniforms themselves someone whose job is to take care of the uh, the other parts of the equipment that you need to have during practice, the helmets, 
All of those things have to come in, come in place, and then you can say, welcome to my home, and then when you have those things in place, then you can say you are legitimately a professional football team, and at that point in time, you can turn back around to the community and say, now come pay to watch what we've got. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges is, one, the investment in the infrastructure, because until there's that investment in the infrastructure, what you're doing is you're robbing Peter to pay Paul and begging Simon to pay Bill. And, and it's just not functional. And, and as long as that's the product that you're putting on the field, then you're going to continually have to fight for respect. And if it's only because of, you know, organiz- it's only because of news outlets like ours, because, yes, we might be on blog radio. No, we're not ESPN. But we are no less professionals in what we do and, and in terms of the quality of the work. And, but it's because of outlets like ours who's made the investment into the sport because we believe in the product. But, but it doesn't matter what we believe until the organizations believe in the product first. That is yep. correct. Now, that's what makes the business model that we have come up with so unique because the community is going to get involved prior to the team even stepping foot on the field. They have got to want it. They have got to support it. So the big thing we're going after is venues that want to support us. So I've talked to 10. Frank. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm going to ask you just a skeptical question because a lot of people and we before you came on, we were talking about, you know, in my in my experience, a lot of people have experienced the arena fallout, the arena football men's fallout where uh, a league pops up for a year or two. Then somebody scams them and walks away and leaves everybody just fitting the bill or not non-existent in certain communities. A lot of them, a lot of communities have experienced that. And I'm talking about just men's arena football. So the, that's one of the things that credibility is one of the biggest things that needs to happen. And I think that's what you're saying here, that you're, you're going to get something, you know, a branded first to uh, wrap around and then at that point branch out from that. Is that what you're stating here? Absolutely. They're going to be 100% behind it with a long-term deal. I will tell you this 100% for anybody that's listening. This is not going to go live until it's 100% funded for a minimum of five years, okay? That is the whole business model. The investors have seen that, and I do have some investors that are very interested. Um, I'm actually reaching out to some investors that we know in Dubai. This is not a fly-by-night scheme. It is 100% officially going to happen. If it happens in 2018, so be it. If it happens in 2019, that's what it is. And it may take till 2020. But we are not going to stop. I have people behind me. I have a team of people that we are working on this. We're doing it all for free. I've invested loads of my own money in it. Other people have invested time. Um, we've got a guy making a website. He's doing that out of his own pocket. This is going to happen, whether it happens. And I've seen some people say, oh, yeah, in 20 years. No. This will be five years or less. But once it is done, the deals we're putting into place with stadiums, stadium authorities, um, spoke with the Green Bay Packers today. There you go. 
This is going to happen. It's going to be long-term. We're not looking. We're not taking any deals for one or two years. We're not going to fall apart. And the big right, question right, right. is, the big question is, how are you going to make it happen? Well, we're, <laughs> that's what I do for a living. I do contracts. <laughs> I've run companies sure, sure. for years. Um, this is what I do: big contracts. I was in Vegas for nine years running companies there. So the big thing is, it's going to happen. When? That's the big question. But it's going to be done professionally. And I just want everybody to know that. And I appreciate you guys taking my call. The point is, nobody's going to get taken advantage of. When a te- when it- Here's the big thing people don't understand. The franchises are going to be corporately owned. The WNBA, I've done a lot of research into that. And one of their downfalls that hurt them and why they're just now, after 20 years, becoming profitable is you've got a guy who had a team. He sells the team to another guy. The guy says, oh, I don't have any money. After 15 years, I'm going to fold the team. We don't want a city to put in 15 years into our league, and then we have to fold one. It's all going to be corporate. Well, you know what, Frank? We've always, I've always said in this show, and everybody in the traditional women's full kit league has either mocked and, and disagreed with me, but I will tell you right now, like it or hate it, the Legends Football League model would work in a short-term status, and then at that point, as you said, as you're valuable and you have branding power behind it, then you can branch out to individual franchisee owners. But the beginning model has to be centralized because that's the only way you're going to get marketing to be effective. It's the only way you're going to get anything to be you know, structured, as Nkishi was saying. It's the only way you're going to be able to manage it on a scale that you can gauge revenue intake, you can gauge marketing know-how, and then get to that level. So, you know, it's not, it's not uh, your traditional full kid league, but the model can still be used to be efficient. And that's the one thing you need to do. You, when you start off the league, as your point right now, you're not going to launch because that's just, you know, like you're saying, until you cross your T's and your I's and you figure out you've got backing support and you've got things structured in place and you have a long-term plan, uh, that is a business model. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people have this, okay, I got the money up front. I'm going to set that up. But they have no clue how to structure their business. So their business model falls apart, like you said, in a 24-month period. They go ahead and they got the fear factor, and then they go, they're looking for another guy to take, and, uh, take the ball and run with it. And all of a sudden, he falters the same way. So, yeah, to your point, it, it is a slow process because when you're doing business and you're doing a business model, it has to be strategized correctly because – you know, the market can change between now and 2018, and you have to make adjustments. And if you're already live, those adjustments are a lot harder to make. Absolutely. And I think you just gave me a compliment, so I'll take it that way. Oh, no, I'm, I'm complimenting you because you're, you're a wise man. That's why I'm saying a lot of you, – you have vision, and that's the one thing that's been missing in the sport for 30 years is the, the fact that the vision part isn't there. I mean, I like, I like the model – we're not going to take the recreational status away because that's a feeder system. And I understand why it has to be there. It's no different than, you know, a high school junior peewee uh, structures of football. That's not a problem. The point is that's always going to exist, but to take it to the next level, to your point, it has to be a mindset of viability because if it isn't, then you're just going to falter. and It's just a waste of time. You've wasted two years without having to launch. And if you, that's the case, then nobody's going to take you seriously. Right. Well, what if we take it and so we, I know right now we've got the whole recreational model. 
But what if, and, and, and actually, Oscar, we, we've been remiss. We didn't officially properly introduce Frank and explain to the uh, to our newer audience who Frank is and, you know, and, and explain, you know, why we're actually interviewing him. So, uh, Frank, please, we, we apologize for not giving you the proper introduction. Um, and on. we'll allow you to do that. And we'll allow you to do that in a second, you know, say who you are and, you know, and, and, and Oscar to make that official introduction as our host and, and fearless leader. But I, I say this to double back on what Oscar just, or build off of what Oscar just said in terms of their feeder system. We don't have women's football on a peewee level, a high school level, you know, et cetera, like with other sports so that you young girls can start playing at a young age and build their skill set up. So they're coming at this raw, fresh, 90% of them at the age of 18 for the first time. And then within three to four years, you know, with, well, two to four years, hoping that they've actually developed into a quality professional player. And I, and I am using air quotes here on professional um, only because they're not getting paid. But what if we take the current system and use that as, uh, Oscar said, as the theater system and use that as what we would consider a minor league team, like what, uh, like what baseball does? So that way, for those young ladies who don't necessarily want to go to the next level but are enjoying it at this lower level, craft it, restructure it, rebrand these current teams, you know, that people have come to know and love as a minor league team. And for those who do want to go to the next level, now we have something to pick and choose from. Is that a viable, realistic option in terms of your vision? Absolutely. Top of all that, and I think uh, Josh touched on this uh, a little bit, um, I did speak with Lisa. Uh, she called me, and I explained the situation that what I would like to do is, well, here, here's the thing. When you're pitching Anheuser-Busch, okay, you're going to have 10 teams. Wonderful. So we'll give you maybe $100,000 per team. However, if I could guarantee that I had another 90 teams with an average attendance of 150,000 to 200,000 overall for each week, I could say, look, we'll throw in the minor leagues. You give me 200,000 per team, and I'll make sure you're in every stadium of women's football in the country. So that was the model right there that we um, originally talked to Anheuser-Busch about. I'm telling on myself a little bit. So the interest is still there, I'll tell you that. That is not dead. So, but we also need to have the WFA and the IWFL on board. Um, I spoke briefly with her about it. She wasn't that interested. Maybe she will in the future. Um, I do have a meeting with the IWFL tomorrow night, and I know that they are open-minded. So, I mean, what's it going to hurt to give all these women's teams a couple thousand bucks? You hang up a banner for Budweiser sponsoring you know, women's sports sure. in America. I don't see a problem with that. Nope. <laughs> so you do no, no problem at all. On, if you do really good research on women, which I do, um, 93% of all purchasing power in the United States is by women. All right? We all have girlfriends, wives. They control them. Hey, I like that brand over there. Go get it. So you give them yep. the money and they go get it. <laughs> um, you know, 
93 of all banking is done by women. 93%. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. These are facts. Um, I mean, the, demographic, of- the demographics uh, support your, your overall uh, engagement because that's really what it is. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, and the reality is that if you can get that, any sponsor will go for that because that's just bodies and numbers and revenue. So it's, it's a no-brainer, as you're, as you're pointing out. Right, but we also, like you said, we can't be a rec league. You have to be professional, and you have to present yourself as professional to these larger people. Um, They want to see that you're going to follow through on your promise of what you're going to do, and that's what I bring to the table. You know, these to the IWFL, they've hung on. They've been around for 16 years, um, and they are developing excellent women football players. But what's the next level? Where are we going with this? They still... Each team's got to pay a couple grand to get into the league alone. Then each player's got to pay $25 just to register with the league. And then you still have 500 to 1500 depending on your demographic, to play. That is crazy. Yeah. One thing we want to do is eliminate Frank, that. If we can eliminate that. That would be outstanding. Yeah. Frank, can you, uh, can you tell everybody, I was told that you are the director of business opportunities so I, I'm, I don't know if that's something that was true or not but I was told that you were the WFA uh, director of business opportunities so I don't know if that's the title you have or what your title is at this point the title is national director of business development that's the key right there I mean you have a vision and that's why I'm saying it's like in any aspect of business if you if you take the model and you're doing the legwork and that's that's the key right there. A lot of people don't do the legwork and that's that's why I sometimes you know I've talked to a lot of owners in both leagues and a lot of owners in both leagues. The first thing that they'll tell me is there is not enough money. But the the reality is a salesperson seeks opportunities because when you say there's not enough money, that means you're not making end roads with any other opportunities. So that means you're just putting yourself in a little bubble and thinking that things are going to come to you. And that's not how business works. I mean, it's, it, you have to go chase it. If you don't chase it, there is no opportunity. And if somebody might not think that you have a good product, it's basic economics and business model. So when you have logistics taken care of, as you're thinking right now with the opportunity in terms of bringing somebody on, yeah, I mean, the return of investment is the one thing that I always tell people when somebody looks at your brand and they don't see a return on investment, they're not going to invest in it because they don't see anything benefit. So the benefit has to be shown. And it looks to me like you're showing a benefit with demographics, with numbers, with uh, you know everything that needs to be presented in a in an opportunity that somebody will take. I, at first, it's a gamble. But reality is, if you present it in a good light, it looks to be a very good investment. And that's the, the end result is if somebody can see that, that's vision. And if they can see that, then the opportunity is presented. And then you have, like you said, the, the, the elevation of a sport to a bigger audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's key with, uh, with major media markets. Um, so there's three major media markets we're pitching. Um, we've spoken to a couple of them. I've sat in the office of one of them. We are working. We're doing the legwork. Just want people to know this is not a fly-by-night I understand there's a bunch of rumors, you know, running and cramping across the, 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 you know, I've only been on Facebook for like seven months. I think it's amazing now, but, um, you know, 
I was a very private person. Um, I had a big network of business people I worked with, um, and I never needed it. Um, there's no way to do anything without social media now. So kudos to Facebook. Um, so I just, uh, I just really, really passionate about this, and I want everybody to know, not a scam. I'm not asking anybody for anything. I don't want any money. I don't want anything from anybody. If you want to volunteer to contact some companies that you may have an in with, you know, my number is on the web page of the WSA. My email is up there for the WSA. My other email is, you know, wnfa.frank at gmail. So it's not hard to get hold of me. Um, but I just, you know, I want everybody to be at ease. This is not going to happen overnight. Um, we had some logistic problems. We were going to do a combine. That was sponsored by Leon Searcy, um, ex-NFL player from Pittsburgh. Um, and he, him and his sister, his sister actually played football for 16 years in Orlando. Um, they are, they are going to have a team in Florida this year, uh, starting next year. Um, I'm pretty good friends with them. Um, you know, we talk, and uh, I just, you know, I just wanted to get involved in the combine. I think it's an excellent way for women to get some better uh, skills, to learn what it's like to be inside a combine for a possible draft that could be happening in two or three years. So there's a lot of great things happening in the sport. We just need to all get together and love each other in this sport like a family because, you know, People taking advantage of other people, that's going to happen every day. It does. But if nobody's asking you for anything, how do you get taken advantage of? So that's all I want to put Correct. out there. You know, I, I want to make sure I don't need a dime from anybody. <laughs> um, I don't want a dime so Frank, from anybody. I want, to, I want to congratulate you because, you know, you're probably one of the first people since I've been covering since 2009 that has a similar mindset that I have. But in reality, like you said, it's going to take some time. So, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and even listen to our show. And, uh, you know, we're big passionate fans of the sport. I mean, we cover this, we, I've covered the sport globally, not just in the United States, but we, we cover it basically globally. And I can tell you that there's avenues of opportunity and different a- aspects of it. Unfortunately here in the States, it's a lot more resistance in some instances, but not really resistant. It's more like a vision because overseas, a lot of times the governing bodies, uh, use their uh, leverage in more of a Title IX mentality. I can tell you, like in Australia and Finland and Sweden and out there in those countries, uh, the men's clubs usually hook up with the women's clubs and give them some sort of you know exposure in terms of a stream feed or anything like that. So they treat them on equal footing. Here it's a little bit more difficult because you don't have college, the college game you know, uh, embracing it. You don't have the NFL embracing it so much to where it's investing money into it. So big challenges a lot more here in the birth of the sport than anything. But it's great to hear that you as an individual, uh, as well as the WFA and other people involved with the sport, are trying to make some, you know, some huge strides to elevate the sport to a professional level for the opportunity for these women to get paid. And, And that's really, when it gets to that level, I mean, that's all you can ask for. And you really want that vision to be there because they deserve it. Uh, not, not so much the players that are exiting at this point, but we got to think about the future, and I think that's uh, we have to applaud you for that, to have that vision. Well, I appreciate that. And while we're giving out compliments, I do want to say one thing, since I have a small platform. Crystal Sacco in Utah does have an entire youth girls 
tackles football program that she put together with another co-owner. And she's doing absolutely wonderful things out there for young girls. Oh, we were speaking the other day. And it's just the possibilities. you got 13-year-olds maybe out there that are going to listen to this broadcast later on, and they're going to know that when they turn 18, it's a very good possibility if they really want to play football that they may get to pay in the pro read. So, so I just want to tell Crystal out there in Utah, keep up the good work, and hopefully she can expand to other cities. Yeah, and then we also have, you know, the Georgia city starting off. And up in Canada, the first uh, league that started out there, we got to just give them credit, the Manitoba Girls Football League up there in, in Canada also. Absolutely. So uh, there, are, there are amazing, uh, you know, individuals out there trying to grow and develop the sport at a grassroots level. But, you know, we get to the, if we get to the next stage, as you're pointing out right now, it would be so awesome to see that in the next stage. So uh, congratulations to you and to everybody involved. And, um, keep doing the hard work. We look forward to some breaking news and figure out, you know, when things will launch. And like you said, there's obviously steps to be taken. But uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime uh, that you want to disclose anything, new information, so that we can get it out to, you know, on the women's boards as well as to uh, the general audience. So we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out and uh, coming on board and giving us that insight. Ah, no problem. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's all mine. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Uh, we'll look forward to Thank some information. You, we'll be call, uh, covering you guys well. And uh, it look, it sounds like it's going to be great if the future holds as it is right now with this conversation. Uh, we're going to be looking at, obviously, a WNBA, uh, you know, NWHL-type uh, model. So that's going to be great for women's uh, full kit. Just remember. Absolutely. Just remember, winners never quit. And if nobody's laughing at you, the dream ain't big enough. That's true. Very well, Frank, true. I just want to very, say very thank true. you for the wonderful compliment earlier. Um, it's really nice to have people, you know, come on and, and, and say that not only they've listened to us, but they've actually taken the time to, you know, pay attention to what we're saying. Because you're right, each one of us is so very different in our, and unique in our own perspectives. And, and I appreciate your continued support of us and this broadcast. So please continue to help spread the word about, you know, the work that we're doing here as well, um, you know, as we continue to support you guys because we want to grow our fan base as well. So thank you Absolutely. for, you know, for your support. You're welcome. Thank you, Frank. Again, the safe travels out there. Uh, we'll touch base uh, as things on, and you can also – inbox us at our green Byron beauties on facebook so really appreciate it have a safe travel and we wish you uh continued success and hopefully that will uh in turn be in a couple of years like you said if not sooner thank you ladies and gentlemen good night all right good night. frank uh frank trout from the wfa uh business de- uh business development and uh so you know we talk about it a lot here about how are we going to get to the next level and how we're going to make the sport grow better and how things are going to evolve in terms of opportunities for women to play professional sports. So um, big day for us today to, to witness uh, Josh's you know, business aspect of it, but to bring Frank in and really give us a promising uh, aspect of uh, where the sport can be in a two to three year mark, if not sooner. So it's good to hear that obviously there's other people working internally to get the sport to another level. I, I honestly like 
today was just an amazing show. Absolutely amazing. Well, it's definitely informative on my end because I'm looking at it from the business aspect, which is the more, you know, is the harder aspect of it, obviously. Um, You know, so as you guys were alluding to earlier, I think the more interesting point is, is, is transitioning from that recreation league to a, you know, a, a fully funded league. So I think what that would happen is when, when you start to do that, I think you're going to, you're going to see less of the teams who, you know, don't have the, you know, the proper players. I think it'll be, you know, more advantageous if what happens is if, if let's just say if they did combine the, the WFA and the IWFL and they take the best of the best players and, and kind of combine it that way, I think that would be best-case scenario for everyone that's involved. You see less blowouts. You see more competitive games, and that's what you want to see. So I think that would be a win-win for everyone. Exactly how the um, exactly how the National Women's Hockey League did it. They pretty much pulled everybody from all aspects of it, and they start feeding each team with uh, infused talent and all-stars and, um, you know, Olympic athletes and stuff like that. So that's why the product was so well off in the first year. So uh, exactly correct, Tori, that, that you're going to have to infuse uh, certain teams or certain cities in order them to be um, a valuable brand to where people can watch it. Um, let's, uh, let's go into, we only, we only got about 15 minutes. So uh, everybody that wanted the, uh, the women's recap, you can go to our, our Facebook page at women's gridiron. Um, uh, I mean, our Facebook page at, Gr- at gridiron beauties. I'm just getting off base here. Um, Great Iron Beauties on Facebook. You can get the uh, the latest news on the LFB, uh, the WFL uh, championships, and then uh, the this weekend in Finland, we're going to have the final of the Maple League, the first annual Maple League final, and you can get the preview there of the Helsinki Roosters taking on the Turkey Trojans. Um, so, Troy, let's go to Legends before we get out of here. Um, we had talked yeah, about uh, the massacre in Ralston which happened, uh, and that was uh, the, you know, the Omaha Heart uh, against Dallas desire, and we knew that the outcome was going to be this, uh, pretty bad. So it was 87 to 12. Um, even with uh, Alex Drake at quarterback, uh, pretty bad. <laughs> so uh, why don't we just move on from that, because that was just horrible outing, and it didn't really factor into play because um, – it was a situation where the temptation was hoping that the heart would come out on top, but that wasn't the case. Uh, and while we're talking about that, I want to give uh, Coach Tui a, a shout-out. He actually shared our audio on our show, Troy, uh, your, your audio technically, because it was Woo-hoo! more of your divulging on the team, uh, on the game uh, with the temptation against the steam, our breakdown of the game. And uh, so uh, Coach Tui uh, – is uh, did an audio version of it and he put it out there uh, for us. He sent it on my timeline. It's actually on my timeline as well as I, I ended up posting it on our uh, Facebook page. So uh, thank you, Coach Tui, for uh, taking us into account and our opinion as well. And so uh, it's pretty much all Troy Wilson, but it's good. It's all you, yeah, buddy. Troy, your um, breakdown, so, uh, yeah, your breakdown is amazing. I love you know listening yeah. to you break down the LFL. Well, thank yeah. you. I appreciate so, it. So, congratulations, guys. buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you, Coach Stewart. Coach, Coach Stewart is awesome. Um, so, you know what, uh, Troy, you've said it all year. Atlanta, very competitive. Uh, they blew out, you know, Omaha in the first, the first game. And then you're 
analysis was on point against the temptation. You said they got to come in because they haven't faced a team like this on the West Coast and things like that. And, and you know, hey, you're on point. You know, temptation goes, goes into Atlanta, and they beat Atlanta <laughs> right in the face. Um, and they they go now into Chicago against Chris Della Harris uh, and uh, Jacinda Barkley. And guess what? Uh, Nailbiter, 39-32. At one point, Atlanta was up, I think, 20-26 to 26 or something like that. They could not hold off Chicago with uh, as your girl, A.J. Johnson. And we'll get to see it this weekend on Saturday. But uh, reality is, Troy, you've been on point pretty much all season, and the bliss did not disappoint. This makes it 5-0 and for Chicago to own the Atlanta team. They get to face them on August 20th for the Legends Cup berth. And I do, just don't see the bliss are going to give up a berth to go to the Legends Cup. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what your your thoughts are. Well, uh, just just watching Chicago, I mean, they after that that game against Seattle early in the season where they took that loss, they're only lost two seasons. I, I just felt like they kind of just put it together. They know how talented they are. And, and again, you know, Chris Dale Harris pretty much resting up until – uh, that last game that they had, and then, you know, coming into Chicago, and she had a great game against, uh, you know, Atlanta as well. I just think that they are poised to, to just go ahead and make that run to, to the title game. And, you know, again, you know, they've dominated Atlanta over the years, as you alluded to, they're 5-0 and against them. I, I just don't see um, – now, listen, Atlanta's competitive, so let's not let's not discount Atlanta. It's just it seems like there's always something that comes up against when they play Chicago. They just have that, you know, you have that curse, that that team, the one team you can't get over the hump against another team, whether it be how it used to be with the Red Sox and the Yankees. The Red Sox find a way to lose against the Yankees, if it, you know, in a meaningful uh, spot in the season or even in the playoffs. And it just seems like Atlanta has that same kind of uh, nemesis with Chicago. So that doesn't mean that they can't beat them. I just don't see it just the way Chicago puts everything together. Chicago scores a lot of points, and they can make defensive plays whenever they want to. Um, so I think Chicago is actually going to take this. Yeah, to be down, to be down, I think, uh, you know, within uh, at the half they were down, and then they start trekking away in the third quarter. And even in the middle of the fourth quarter, they were still somewhat down. And all of a sudden, the afterburners kick in. And then you got, you know, the Aussie quarterback starts to play. And you guys will see it on the video and uh, on, on the LFL Legends this Saturday. But, you know, Atlanta has a tendency to get overly aggressive and shoot themselves in the foot almost every time against Chicago. They cannot seem to keep a cool, level-headed. Uh, they like to talk a lot of smack. They like to be overly aggressive. And if you guys saw the, the – uh, on our uh, Facebook page, you saw it. Uh, Crystal Harris, the first thing she said, you know, they can't beat us if we're level-headed. And reality is that's what happened here. And towards the end, Atlanta starts to explode themselves uh, when it gets to a point where they get too competitive against each other. They happened against L.A. They also had that in- incident where uh, they came in with a lot of, I wouldn't say cockiness, but they came in with a lot of pride and all of a sudden, they un, uh, you know they underestimated Los Angeles, and so they end up losing that too. And in this game, sort of similar situation happened here. Uh, do you think Troy, the five and zero is starting to get to Atlanta here, where the fact that the Bliss now owns them in their head? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I do. And and that, that, that does. It starts to sink in. You know, does this team really have our number? And not to mention, as you alluded to earlier, um, you know, they've, they've, Atlanta's a talented team. They are. They're very talented. But they just find ways to lose games, and they find ways to make mistakes in the spots that they really can't afford to make them. But I, I just think with the talent that they have, if they do shore up those mistakes, they have a possibility to win. But I just think mentally, to standpoint, they're going to start to press. They're going to start to press, press, press. And as they did, you know, um, as you said before, you know, they were up on Chicago. And they just started to, you know, kind of make too many mistakes, overly aggressive, um, you know, kind of getting rid of the demons instead of letting the game naturally come to them. When you start doing those type of things, you start making those mistakes, and I think eventually it's just gonna it's gonna wear them down. Troy, the big game we're gonna look forward to. Not that we don't want to watch Atlanta, Chicago again. The big game is the big test. Uh, Michelle Angel taking on KK Matheny, Danica Brace taking on Victoria Thomas, Jade Randall, uh, taking on you know Jessica Hopkins. That's the big game here. Dallas has already beaten Seattle. It is basically, at this point, even though they're the champs, are they the underdogs? I would have to say right now I would still put Dallas as the underdog, and this is why. Because, you know, with with Seattle, the way that they play, Seattle made a lot of mistakes in that that game where they lost against Dallas. They actually tried to – they didn't use enough of their quickness. They're, they're a very quick team, where Dallas is a more of a powerful team. And they needed to use that quickness a little bit more than they did. So if, if Seattle can come back and play their game, I just think that they're the better player, that they're, they're the better team. Now, they also, they, they befell some, some injuries, some key injuries to, to some key players in that game. Are those players going to be back and ready to play? If that's the case, I think Seattle is actually the better team by a the slimmest of margins. I mean, you can literally take a, a playing card and kind of slide it in between to, to determine that. But if Dallas gets it going and they give Victoria Thomas the ball, which they really don't do a whole lot of. I'm not sure if it's uh, by design or they're just trying to, you know, give you the ball out, but they really kind of sparingly use her. They don't use her as much, and maybe they're saving it for this playoff run here. But if they give the ball to Victoria Thomas, I just don't think there's any team in the LFL that can stop them if they run the ball effectively like they do. So the the scenario we're looking at right now, based on your analysis at this point, it would be Seattle, a rematch, Seattle-Chicago rematch for Legends Cup in Arizona. So at this point, that's what we're looking at. Um, we could easily have Dallas-Atlanta in Legends Cup if – you know, certain things happen, but as it stands right now, uh, it would be a better story to say Chicago returns to Legends Cup to take on Seattle for the big prize, similar to DC versus the Elite in that aspect of it. So um, I think that's going to be kind of exciting to see the next two weeks. On the 20th, we're going to see Chicago taking on the Atlanta Steam, and then you're going to see uh, Dallas taking on the Mist. So uh, we could have missed Bliss once, once more in the Legends Cup. And I think the, biggest, the bigger story here is Chicago bringing in the Aussie sensation, which is Jacinda uh, uh, Barkley, who has played so well in absence of, of uh, Heather Furr, who everybody thought, no Heather Furr, Chicago is done. 
but give credit to Coach Hack because he's actually restructured that, brought in a pretty good, valuable uh, quarterback. They can, it's multitasked. In other words, it kind of reminds me of Ashley Salerno in a lot of ways where she can run out of the pocket and still be able to see the opening and go for the run to, to score. So uh, the Bliss have something going there with their quarterback as well as A.J. Johnson, as you talked about before. You, you still have the hardcore defense with Chantel Taylor as well as Joshie Rice. Uh, in the background. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had this fan right now, it would probably be bliss and miss. So unless it's different from you. Um, no, that's what I have right there. Bliss and the mist. But as you said, it can easily go eat one way or the other. And to me, the great thing is, is that both of the games, uh, to get to the title game, they're going to be competitive because it features the, you know, well, I'm not going to say, all, all four of the teams are the best teams to offer because I think L.A. belongs in there somewhere. I just wish the playoff format was a little bit different. But, as, you know, I think the, the teams are pretty much evenly matched, and it could go either way. But those are the teams that I'm going with, the Mist and the Bliss. Yeah, I think that's the, the key right there. So it um so that's our that's pretty much our overview. We're looking forward to this Saturday. Uh, so we only got a couple minutes here. This Saturday, we're looking forward to Chicago Atlanta on Legends Football League on YouTube. You can watch it there. We're also looking forward to the Helsinki Roosters, undefeated Helsinki Roosters, taking on the Turku uh, Trojans, the 6-1 and one Turku Trojans that features uh, Leah Kaswa from former Indy, Indy Crash of the WFA. And um, I believe it's El St- uh, Steffens as well from the Indy Crash. So they're playing overseas in Finland. So uh, shout out to them. So it's going to be a great game, the Trojans, and you can uh, check our timeline feed on Twitter and on Facebook for the link for the live uh, broadcast of the finals game from Finland. Also, LFB action as well as WFL action and SSFL action. You can cover that, and you can follow it through us on Twitter or on Facebook. So, guys, we didn't get a chance to talk about the uh, Hall of Fame at this point, so we only got a couple minutes, but uh, we can dive into that next week in more detail as well as going to NFL training camp. Uh, you know, Ram news, uh, Rams on hard knocks as well. So we'll, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, you know, to the feedback there in terms of what's going on with hard knocks this this year with the team and everything else. Um, so thank you everybody for making us number one on Twitter, continue to support us and share. Uh, thank you everybody for all the sales this month on at the no joke football shop at Zazzle.com. And so uh, we've raised a hundred dollars so far up to this point. Now we've raised 160 dollars total sixty dollars this month to the women's outback australia team and don't forget to follow us on our brand new facebook uh um, on our facebook site no joke football brand you can follow us at no joke football uh facebook forward slash no joke football where you get to see uh brooke lisby you get to see uh Kristen moran lauren evans and all uh, matilda quist and all of our supporters on that page um so they're doing great things and as we get ready for the aussie season during the NFL season, even more excitement. So, uh, guys, if you guys got anything else, I think we should uh, pretty much bail at this point. But great show. Thank you to Frank Shroud for coming in from the WFA. Thank you for Josh uh, King from Broadcast 65 to come on and then explain the uh, situation that happened at the W Bowl. And uh, so, and Kishi, got anything you left? I do have one thing to add, which is absolutely very interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the announcement, but Tim Tebow has said that he is looking to try his hand 
now at baseball, which is a sport he has not played since high school. And the local independent professional baseball league down the street from my house put out a press release today that they have extended an invitation to Tebow's manager for him to come try out and work out with the team. Can you guys imagine if he accepts Tim Tebow down the playing baseball down the street from my house? Who would have thought? Tebow mania. Yeah. Tebow mania once again. Yeah. Tebow mania once again. Wow. If he does go anywhere, he's going somewhere with a major league team, and he'll probably play in the farm league and pull a Michael Jordan. Oh, it's good for him. I guess it's a different branch. Trying to be a Bo Jackson, I guess, in, in some instances. So, I guess you got to yeah, go what well, you got to go. He could I have guess. stayed in the NFL, but he just would have been in a different position. So, anyway, but that was so yeah. that's my fun fact for tonight. Well, I can say uh, I loved you guys back because the, the last uh, last show was kind of, I wouldn't say uh, extreme, but it is extreme when you're on, on your own and stuff like that. But I did have some amazing guests last week, so – that was even easier. So, Kenjetta uh, uh, Grisby and I had uh, Taylor Hay as well. And then also Darren Stanky came by while you guys were gone to recap us on the Canada scene as well. So, um, great show last week. And welcome back to all of you guys. And look forward to next thank week. You, thank you. As we talk NFL training camp news, we'll talk uh, Hall of Fame. And then we start to do some previews for the women's gridiron down under. So that's going to be the focus on there. And then we'll recap, obviously, the Finland final and all the other games in the non-kit league. So uh, thanks for following us on Twitter at Gridiron Beauty. Um, you can basically go to the Facebook page as well at, at uh, Gridiron Beauties. And you can follow Troy at Troy underscore one, Troy Wilson underscore one on Twitter. You can get uh, in Kishi's Cuties at Kishi's Cuties, K-E-S-X-I-E-C-U-T-I-E-S. Um, you can follow us there on Twitter, and we're all engaged all the time. So uh, thank you, everybody, for making us the number one Twitter sports site. And uh, we'll look forward to next week. So, Troy and Kishi, have a great weekend. Catch you here next Tuesday right here on Block Talk Radio, com on the Great Iron Blitz. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night.